right, if you have to the book of Revelation, and we're going to be in Revelation chapter 16 tonight, we'll finish out, Lord willing, at least we'll finish out Revelation chapter 16 as we close, as we uh, look at the bowls of God's wrath. We started looking last week at the bowls of God's wrath, we'll, can, Lord willing, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do a quick recap of the seven verses we, we uh, looked at last week, and Lord willing, we'll finish up with the seven bowls here in uh, uh, eight through eight through uh, uh, through the through the rest of the chapter eight through eleven, uh, or I'm sorry eight through twenty one. I said eight through eleven, but eight through twenty one. Um, and so, uh, um, so if you are physically able to do so, I do invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word, Revelation chapter sixteen. Uh, we'll read the entire chapter together. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial and on the sea, and became as the blood of, of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, You are righteous, O Lord, which are and were and shall be, because you have judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the earth, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which is power over these plagues. And they repented not nor gave uh, to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues in pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth to, to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that, of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments lest he be, walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give her the cup of the wine, the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. And every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God, because the plague of hail, and for the plague thereof, was exceedingly great. Let's pray. Father. This is now your word. May you help us to listen to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You Be seated. I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again because I think it does deserve repeating. That is, if you want to avoid the idea of of judgment or wrath, 
um, you have to avoid the book of Revelation. Um, it is a dirty word in our, in our culture. Uh, you know, nobody likes to talk about judgment. Nobody likes to talk about wrath, the wrath of God, or anything else, right? Uh, but it is a biblical concept. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, Revelation is um, all about God's fulfillment of his justice in the earth. Um, and, and I think it is... Um, I think it is interesting that Richard Niebuhr described his liberal gospel in this way. A God without wrath bought men without sin into a kingdom, without judgment, through the ministration of a Christ without a cross. <laughs> uh, well, clearly, he had not read, he, hasn't, he had not read the gospel, he's not read the scriptures, because this is clearly not what the reality is for us. When we remove the concepts of wrath and sin and judgment, we honestly lose the fullness of the ministry of Jesus, the Jesus Christ who saves sinners and reconciles them to the Father. So we saw in chapter 15 and last week in even the first seven verses of chapter 16, again, this cycle of God's wrath being poured out, being brought to and upon the nations. Um, and, and particularly uh, the nation of, 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 uh, of Rome and the nation of Israel. And the, the, the idea here that, that God was going to, um, was going to bring, upon, bring upon them the, the great judgment cycle to vindicate his righteousness. And so, uh, and, and we did say, I did say, and I want to point this out as we sort of just, just recap this just a little bit. Uh, that uh, the seven bowls are, um, are very similar to the seven trumpets found earlier in the book of Revelation. And the trumpets and the judgment bowls here, these vials or bowls, um, are, are in fact uh, very similar to the ten plagues of the nation of Egypt that God poured out. Not only that, but I believe it's in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you'll see the plagues, excuse me, God promises to bring upon his covenant people if they break his covenant. And so these are all very similar to one another. These are all, they, they are all um, telling the same story of God's, God's righteousness and vindicating his, his righteous holiness and his righteousness. And uh, I would say that God, if, if God truly is holy, then he must pour out wrath upon those who refuse to bow the knee and kiss the son. He must pour out wrath because to be holy uh, means that he cannot put up with, and he will not put up with, anything less than holiness. And this is the important here. This is important here for us to understand. And so, again, comparing the bowls and the trumpets that we find earlier in the book of Revelation, I believe it's Revelation chapter 7 or 8, uh, with the trumpets, it reveals uh, the identical order. I mean, they're identical to one another uh, in their order. First is the sea, or the earth. Second is the sea. Third is the rivers. The fourth is the sun. The fifth is the darkness upon the wicked. Sixth is Euphrates. And then seventh and finally is, is, is final judgment, is, is, is judgment that is the last judgment that is to come. Uh, and, and so the bowls really do just, just um, they, they, they recapitulate, they, they retell uh, the story of the, of the trumpets. And it is interesting that everyone in this nation, everyone in this world enjoys God's grace, uh, whether they realize it or not. God's common grace is upon all peoples. Uh, he, as I said this morning, and as the scripture makes plain, God makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Um, <clears throat> God gives life and he gives breath to, to, the, to the righteous and the unrighteous. And 
So he gives them abilities and gives them wisdom to be able to do things and to work at things. However, uh, there is coming a day in which the unrepentant will also fully be experiencing judgment for sin. And that's, uh, uh, that's a day in which we now understand who are in Christ and we call sinners to repent and to believe the gospel so that they would not experience such things. And we know that ultimately all of this culminates with, our, with, our justifica- with, with the justification of our faith, with Christ ultimately coming, ultimately in the, at the very end of time, ultimately coming and, and resurrecting the dead and then bringing about ultimate judgment upon the, 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 the peoples of the earth. And so that's really where we find ourselves in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 16 is the, the heavenly temple and God beginning to pour out his wrath and uh, God beginning to, to show forth his, his anger against those who, who, have, who have continued to rebel against him. And, and uh, as we see here, those that um, numerous allusions, and, and this is the thing we have to keep in mind here in Revelation chapter, in Revelation just in general. I believe it is over 400 verses are either direct quotations of or direct allusions to the Old Testament. Right? So, so we need to keep that in mind, right? So in order to understand Revelation, we need to understand the Old, Old Testament imagery and the imagery that John is employing in this time. Because to under, not to understand the Old Testament will lead us to not properly understand Revelation. Revelation is a, is a severely large symbolic book. I'm not saying that it doesn't tell us of, of events that, that have happened or are going to happen. But, but ultimately, it is a book filled with symbols as well. In order to properly understand those symbols, we have to understand the Old Covenant. We have to understand the Old Testament uh, and so, that, so that we can properly um, conclude what God is saying to us and, and, and to, to ultimately remember God's judgment uh, and how that can be avoided through Christ. Um, and so we, we see, the, 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 for instance, in these first, first few vials in Revelation chapter 16, uh, right, we, we see uh, the first one being poured out, right, again, with uh, uh, sores, right, and then we see uh, the seas, and then we see the rivers, and I think that's, a, that's about as far as, as we got. I think it is interesting that uh, Stephen Carnock, uh, Charnock, however you choose to pronounce him, wrote, wrote a, was a Puritan, wrote, wrote vast uh, amounts on the attributes of God. He said this, a love of holiness cannot be without a hatred of everything that is contrary to it. And so God's wrath against sin is, is, is natural and should be understood naturally. And truthfully, David in the Psalms even says, do I not hate them with a perfect hatred who hate you, right? And so our hatred of sin should, be, should flow from the fact that Christ uh, has transformed our hearts. And, and so um, we, should, we should hate sin as well, not only within us, but within our culture as we see as we see our culture celebrating death and, and, and selfishness and wickedness, we should, we should hate these things and understand that the only hope is, is that of the gospel. But again, the gospel to plow under the, 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 the nations, to, to bring them to submission to Christ. And we, we see that, that God is continually at work. 
Um, and it is interesting that, that in, in chapter, uh, chapter 15 and 16, the, the peoples of the nations, the peoples of the world are set in stark contrast to the, peoples of, to the people of God, to the, to, to the covenant community, to, the, to, the, to, to God's covenant elect. Right? They, they, they're set in contrast. So while, while all of these things are, are occurring right, uh, against the nations, God pouring out his, his wrath against the nations, right? Um, and, and against uh, Israel and Rome and, and all these other nations that are that are presented here, we do see that that in contrast to this, God is not pouring out His wrath against God His own covenant people. Uh, so so while um, while God's people uh, while while the nations are are taking the brunt force of this, um, God is God is not doing this to His people. God is not pouring out his wrath upon his people. And so believers, as believers, we enjoy peace with God. Um, and and we, we ultimately understand this properly through Jesus Christ, right? That Jesus Christ is our, is, our, um, is our only way to be reconciled to the Father. That is through Christ we are, we are bought and, and God sought, sought us, seeks us out and buys us through his blood. And he brings us to faith in Christ sovereignly for his own glory and his own honor. And so he does this, uh, and it, it, it is for his glory that he does this. And he, he creates this covenant community against whom the gates of hell itself cannot prevail. Uh, and, and just as the Israelites were freed from, from the nation of Egypt, God sets his people free. God vindicates his people at the end of the world. And, and even though this doesn't mean that we won't see times of darkness, right? It doesn't mean that at all, right? I mean, we, we should not say, well, that means we'll never suffer. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not the point here. The point is that God never pours out his wrath upon us. The nation certainly will rise up at times and, and persecute the, the people of God, as we've seen throughout Revelation, as they did, as the Jews did, as Rome did, as other nations have throughout history. We, we certainly understand that. We certainly ag- agree that the nations hate God. And so, as we saw the beast, right, rising up against the, the, the people of God and pouring out his wrath against the people of God and trampling many of them underneath his feet, back earlier in Revelation, we understand that there will be times in which God's people will be, um, will be, uh, will be persecuted. We will suffer. Uh, uh, and not to draw a too fine of a line on this, but 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 um, I, I mentioned in our prayer meeting that uh, our men's prayer meeting that I, I have two two very good friends of mine who who are Canadian citizens, right? They they are in Canada, and um, they they just simply, without going into great detail, they simply said, "Tim, you have no idea what is actually going on up here, uh, and how 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 our government is persecuting." Um, uh, people who, who not just disagree with them, but even God's people. And so I would say to you that, that there are times when governments will rise up against God's people and will persecute them. And, and it will not be a, a fun time. And yet God promises that he will plow the nations under. He will plow them under. Uh, and he will ultimately bring an end to the false religions of the world he will bring an end to those who worship at the feet of false gods. And we see that 
over and over again, God is, God is glorifying himself, he, even through our times of darkness and persecution, perhaps, of the church. And, um, the, the, and, and so we understand, we rightly understand that God's wrath is certainly understandable against the nations. And it, it's the natural reaction, again, as I've said, to, of holiness against sin. And so we, we see that God is, God is at work to glorify himself. Um, God, as, as God's people, let me just say it this way. As God's people, we, I think we properly un, are able to put in context this, this idea of wrath. Um, because I think sometimes people have the view of wrath that <clears throat> somehow it's like rage. Just being, just uh, like the dam is opened and rage just flows. But that's not God. And that's not how God works. We're not talking about rage just simply being unleashed. We're talking about God's wrath being, being allowed to be vented, God allowing his wrath to be vented against the nations. Um, and the fact that we see Christ so willingly laying down his life while we were his enemies. It's amazing, isn't it? That, that, that the, ultimate, the, 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 the most perfect way we can understand wrath is God, is God pouring out his wrath upon his dearly beloved son and his wrath is executed upon his son and all who take refuge in Christ are 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 saved from the wrath that is to come because of the mercy because of God's wrath that was poured out upon his son let me just say this very clearly and i think you would agree with me that is mercy that is mercy god's mercy is graciously given but for those nations, for those people who will not bow the knee, um, they will taste the unfathomable riches of God's wrath against sin. So we are able, as God's people, then to have a transformed view of wrath and understand it properly. Um, and so we, we as God's people, as John would say in 1 John, that perfect love casts out fear. So if we're in Christ, we no longer have this fearful expectation of wrath, but now we have a, a, a glorious expectation of, of meeting God's grace, of meeting God's mercy. Even if we face the vengeance of the nations and we taste the vengeance of the nations against God's people, we know that Christ is good. So to our text then. Um, no, that's a rather long introduction, uh, but to our text then. Um, so let's look at the reaction, the reaction here, uh, the reaction of the nations uh, here in verses 8 through 16. We see, see a couple different things going on here in verses 8 through 16. We see the reaction to, to God's wrath ultimately. Um, so, so notice in both in both both of these instances, when the when the uh, the sun scorches people with fire, or the darkness is is heavy upon them. What does the text say? Is their response is that they bowed the knee, they humbled themselves, and they repented, and they turned to Christ, and they worshipped Him. Right? No, 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 not at all. What does it say that they did? Right? They repented not to give him glory. They repented not to give him glory. In verse 9 and verse 11, they not only did not repent to give him glory, but they blasphemed the God of heaven. They blasphemed his name. They spoke ill of the name of God. They cursed God, right? It wasn't just that they took God's name in vain, as we think of taking God's name in vain. But they, they actually actively cursed God. 
right? How dare you, God, uh, with all the curses that they can muster? How dare you do this to us? You know, how, how, you know, how dare you bring your wrath against us? Um, it, it, it is unfathomable the depths that sin can take us to, isn't it? That, that we can be brought to such a low point, even in our sin, where it's, it's when God brings his righteous, uh, even as Christians, when God brings his righteous rebuke to us, we can, we can easily say, How, what, why me? What, what did I do wrong? How dare you? Why would you let this happen? But in an even more insidious way, in, uh, insidious way, the nations here now cry out, how dare you, and curse God to his face. Uh, it's interesting that this said that the sun um, is, uh, is, is scorched, uh, scorches them. If you go back to Revelation chapter 17, let's go back to Revelation 7. I'm sorry, seven, I said 17, but Revelation 7, verse 16. Go back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 16. I want you to see, again, that this is placed in a... In a um, in a, in a comparison, a par- uh, comparison, a parallel to God's people. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 16, let's, listen to what it says here in verse 16. <clears throat> Let me see. Mm, yes, it says this. Um, well, let's go back to verse 15. Therefore, uh, are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple? And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. So again, in comparison, God's mercy being seen to the saints, God's wrath now being seen upon the nations against, against their immorality and their wickedness. God unleashes these bowls, these vials, right? And what does it mean when it's talking about the sun? And talking about the darkness, what, what does that mean, right? Well, ultimately, as we understand this, we, we need to understand that ultimately what, what God is doing is God is bringing great economic hardship upon the nations. Um, God, is, God is allowing the sun to scorch and destroy them and their 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 wealth, their, uh, their, their ability to make wealth even. They, God is destroying their ability to bring in their harvests. God is destroying their ability to, to make any sort of income by destroying their livelihood. This is, this is what he's doing. And God is bringing emotional and psychological terror upon the nations by destroying their ability to make or serve their idols or to, 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 to serve their own bellies, their own, the gods of their own bellies, their own appetites, if you will. And so God has God promised to the, God, his people that uh, ultimately he would not allow them to see destruction. But here he's telling the nations, I will bring you to your knees. I will bring you to your knees. Um, God is bringing the, these great plagues, uh, these painful sores, these great scorching heats upon the nations. And notice, notice, where, notice where this is all falling, because I think this is important. Notice where this is all falling. 
It says in verse 12 of chapter 16 of, of Revelation, it says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, that the water thereof... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, back to verse 10, I'm sorry, I, I skipped one. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. The seat of the beast. So, where is the seat of the beast? Well... The seed of the beast is none other than the great spiritual Babylon. Well, who is the great spiritual Babylon? Well, the great spiritual Babylon is none other than Rome. God pours out, promises to pour out his wrath upon Rome. God promises to, to destroy them, uh, to destroy the, the very seat of commerce, the very seat of, 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 of the ability of the nations who have gathered around this great city, this spiritual Babylon, this great city set on seven hills that John tells us about earlier, which is none other than Rome. God promises to destroy them. God promises to ultimately bring them to their knees. And it falls upon the seat of the beast, upon Rome itself, this mystical uh, Babylon, the spiritual Babylon, the, the head of this Antichrist empire, right? This Antichrist religion. And, and, and it's there that God destroys and pours out his wrath upon this place, and he destroys the nations by destroying the very seat of their power. The very seat of their power. And so God destroys them. He opposes their, their honor. He, he, he pours contempt upon their and scorn upon their, their, their magnificence. And anything that is against Christ, Christ plows under. And I would say this, that throughout John, again, throughout the Gospel of, uh, throughout the gospel of John, or 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, darkness being poured out is being used in a way that shows the that shows the reality of or that which is completely opposed to righteousness and wisdom. And so God promises to destroy any sort of wisdom or wise actions on the nation's part. Unbelievers will ultimately shake their fists at the Lord. And then, as a, and then, as I read uh, first, instead of instead of instead of here uh, with the with the beast, but it says, in, "On the sixth angel poured out his vial or his bowl upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared." And then we get into this really strange thing, right? And he says, and I saw, in verse 13, I saw, and I'll go back to, to the sixth angel because this is all together. And he says, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps the garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So, what in the world is going on here? Well, um, it is interesting that, again, uh, there, is a, there is an allusion here to the Old Testament, to Pharaoh. He said, now, uh, what do you mean? Well, after the ten plagues fall upon Pharaoh, what is the last thing God does to Pharaoh? He destroys his armies, he wipes them, wipes them clean, he destroys them utterly, and leaves Pharaoh with, with nothing, right? Leaves him powerless. Well, here, 
the same as is, is obviously being alluded to. Back to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 with the battle that was, in the, that was prophetically given to Ezekiel and the prophecy of the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And this is, this, is, this is what's being alluded to here, the fulfillment of that promise and that prophecy given to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And it's interesting that Satan then responds, the red dragon, right, because that's Satan, as we've already talked about, if you've been here through our series. We see that Satan, right, uh, um, the, the great red dragon, right, uh, out of his mouth and the beast and the false prophet, right, un, uh, unreleased these, these, strange, these strange beings, these what are called unclean frogs, these demonic spirits that John tells us. But it is interesting that unlike the locusts that John talked about earlier who torment people, it is interesting that these frogs, these demonic spirits that are being unleashed, right, these minions of Satan, um, was to do one thing and one thing only. These, 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 these slick-tongued demonic beings, um, uh, which are simply, as I said, uh, messengers of Satan, right, um, they, are, uh, they are simply given slick speech to gather the nations to deceive them. Uh, and, and it is interesting that, um, that the nations then are gathered together and they, they battle and they fight or they, they attempt to fight in this, this thing called Armageddon. Uh, this, uh, this, this great battle. Um, Armageddon, and John will return to this in 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 in, in just a uh, just a little bit, um, and explain this in a little more detail about Christ's final overcoming uh, of them. But um, in, in Armageddon, he'll explain it in a little more detail. But but ultimately, understand here, uh, it is interesting that God is the one who is working all of this out um, to bring this to its ultimate culmination and conclusion um, by, by, by literally allowing Satan to, or, or, or permitting Satan, or decreeing to permit Satan to call these nations again to uh, one final battle against, uh, against God, against the Lamb of God. And we'll see here in just a few minutes uh, how the Lamb, of course, overcomes. Uh, the church is triumphant, uh, the vision of the church triumphant, uh, being, being glor- God glorifying himself ultimately uh, through, through the church and clothing his people in righteousness and in holiness and, in gl- and, and that which is, glorifies God. But the nations here, just, just for now, we'll say that the nations here are deceived again, and they are, and, and by the way, this is a theme throughout, not only throughout Revelation, but throughout the Bible, that the nations are constantly being deceived. And this is true, right? Jesus himself, ultimately, though, uh, we know from John's writing in 1 John that, the, that one of the purposes of Christ's coming was to destroy the works of the devil. And he's ultimately done that through the cross. And he's ultimately done that through the gospel. Christ has overcome Satan. That doesn't mean that Satan still doesn't work in the world. I mean, he obviously does. But ultimately, he is defeated. Ultimately, he is bound in some sense of the word. He is already bound in that he isn't allowed to work in quite the, quite the way that he has been previously. But, but he is working nonetheless. And Satan's final defeat approaches. And, and despite his unleashing all of this deceptiveness and power to, to bring the saints down with him, Christ, Christ uh, shows forth his power and defeats them. 
So even though the church obviously suffers at times greatly, persecution will uh, at times uh, ebb and flow in, in, greater, uh, in greater amounts than at others, Christ ultimately reminds us of this one thing. In verse 15, listen, listen to what Jesus says. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In other words, guard your hearts. Jesus would say in the Gospel of Matthew, that if you, if, you, if you hear someone saying, hey, Jesus, the, the Messiah is here, the Messiah is there, don't, don't go out to them. Right? It's not true. Uh, if, if, you hear the, if you hear of, of wars and rumors of wars and all these things right, that, have, that have taken place, you know, don't, don't let your heart be troubled, but watch yourselves. Right? Protect, protect yourselves through grace and in grace. And God promises that he will... He will come. He will come. And he will defend his people utterly through the nation, in the nations, by plowing them under through the gospel. And the completion then of God's wrath is found in verses 17 through 21. Or if we want to talk about the, God's complete wrath being fulfilled, maybe, and maybe we could talk about that. But we were previously told in Revelation chapter 15, go back to Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. So what it says here, Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. Listen to this. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. And so John is promising that with this, the wrath of God is ultimately fulfilled with this final bowl, this final trumpet, like the final trumpet, right? John hears a loud voice, and that's what he says in verse 17. And the angel, the seventh angel, poured out his vial, or his bowl, into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. Now, immediately, immediately, you should hear the words of Christ. When he cried out on the cross, It is finished. It is done. It's an illusion. If we go back to the Old Testament, um, if you want to turn there with me in Isaiah 66, it, this is an illusion, a direct illusion to Isaiah 66, uh, verse 6. Don't read anything into it, 666. Don't, <laughs> don't read anything into that, okay? Um, uh, that's a bad preacher joke, I guess. But um, it says this. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that renders recompense to his enemies. This is a direct allusion back to Isaiah 66, verse 6. With God's promise to do exactly that. And God ultimately extends his judgment as he extends, and, and listen to this, as he extends his throne and his, his rule, God ultimately, God ultimately extends his judgment upon the nations. And the whole of the satanic empire is split into three parts, as we're told in verse 19. It is split into three parts. Now you say, well, what, what does that 
What does that what does that matter that John tells us that the city is split into three parts? Well, it is interesting that Jesus does this um, not merely to refer to destruction of Rome or to any other nation, but rather the end of the whole evil regime that is referred to here as Babylon, spiritual Babylon. And, and so that God is, 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 is referencing for us the fact that he is going to make the nations drink of the wrath of God. He is going to break them. He is going to destroy them. He is going to tear them into pieces. And anyone who stands against, against Christ and against his church will be plowed underneath. And so let me, let me just sort of close by, by, by saying this, right? Because we talked a lot about judgment. So let, let, let's, talk, let's talk about... Um, because, and and there's, there, because, because this chapter is all about judgment. But I, I want to close by simply focusing on verse 15 and encouraging us all from verse 15. Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches. Again, we should remember Jesus' words in Matthew, right? 24 and 25, 25, I believe, we're talking about the virgins and, and, and the talents uh, that they don't know when the master's coming and they should keep watch. And, and, and so, so we should pull from that, understanding that in the back of our mind. And he says, and, 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 and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. So let me, let me close by, by just offering a simple um, meditation upon this verse and, and offering you some, some, some hope and encouragement in this. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you have fled to Christ in hope, if you have turned to Christ in hope, of salvation, if you have fled to him, forsaking your self-righteousness and your sin and fleeing to Christ, we know, we know that our God is faithful to save his people and to keep his people, to watch over his people, to lovingly guard his people, even if we must taste persecution as his saints, he will not let us taste ultimate defeat or destruction. We know that Christ has promised, even as perhaps our brothers and sisters in the nations now are facing persecution from many different, uh, many different places, the evils of Islam and, and, and other evils uh, in the world, other false religions who persecute our communism and the, 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 the wickedness of the, of the communists um, and their atheism and their, their humanism and their, their wickedness that they pour out upon our brothers and sisters, even though we see brothers and sisters suffering even today, we, we know that there is coming a day when final judgment will ultimately be rendered and our faith will be vindicated once and for all. We will not be destroyed. We will, we will hold the line by God's grace. It is interesting that I, as, as I read, I, I read a lot. Uh, I read a lot of, of various different authors. Um, but uh, one particular author talks about, um, he, was a, um, he was a guard before he was brought to faith in Christ in a Russian gulag. Uh, and he talks about how um, trying to break the believers who had been arrested uh, and, uh, and, and trying to break the, 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 their, their, uh, their trust and faith in Christ, 
they would bring two and three rows of, of pastors and faithful believers out to the, to the courtyard for all of the peoples to be able to see and the, the, the person would, uh, would come uh, to, uh, out into the, to the courtyard, and one by one, one by one, he tells the story of, uh, of how um, he would ask each and every pastor, each and every believer, Will you, do you still believe in Jesus the Christ? And they said, yes, and they shot them. And they shot them so much so that, uh, and I'm not trying to be graphic, but I'm just telling you how he explains this, so that they would shoot them in such a way that blood splatter would splatter on the next and then the next in the hopes that as they shot these believers, as they shot these pastors and these other leaders, there would be the last group would be basically covered in drenched in blood and the hopes that they would also recant. And he tells the story that in all this time as a prison, as a, as a gulag, a guard in the gulag there in Russia, this author talks about how he never saw a single believer recant their faith. Even those who knew what was coming and were drenched in the blood of their, of their brothers and sisters before them, they faced their death with bold confidence in Christ. And I say the same to us. We can face whatever the world throws at us, whatever the nations throw at us, Whatever, whatever terrors that we, can, we may face, we can face those with hope, firm hope in Christ, firm hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he is the keeper and guardian of our souls. And one day that we will see and experience the church triumphant as Christ extends his reign over all the nations and plows them under through the gospel and vindicates our faith. And so I'm going to close with, the, with 2 Peter 3.14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to all these things, or to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Let's pray together. Father, we would ask now for your blessing upon your people. We would ask now that you would help us as your people, not just us, but your persecuted church as well that you would help us to do as you have commanded us here in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15, that to, to keep our, our hearts and to keep our garments, that we don't walk naked and be ashamed, but that we, we would keep our hearts, we would keep our minds, and that you would keep them, that we would one day know that our vindication will be fully displayed as you plow the nations under through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may you help us now. May you glorify your name. May you help us to preach Jesus boldly. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.